You're listening to the second season of The Study Podcast with Dr. Paul Wegner on Genesis. Today, we're getting into a couple complicated topics, but first, Dr. Wegner is going to tell us uh, a Hebrew word of the day. Yes. Um, basically, I know you like having these Hebrew words each day. So what I did is this one is the word toledoth, and, and basically... It occurs 11 times in the book of Genesis, and I actually think it's for the structure of the book. It helps mm. organize the book. So you've got, it means something like descendants, successors, generations, history, origin, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it always has, these are the Toledoth, something like that. These okay. are the generations or something. Yeah. And then it launches into basically who that person is, like the uh, generations of Adam or yeah. the generations of Abraham or something And then something you're getting... Like narrative following that person or related to that person, essentially. And what's interesting is at the end of each of them, before it goes into the next one, it says something like, like, it's almost like a conclusion Mm. that starts the next one, Hmm. you know, um, like in one of them talks about, uh, and, and, uh, men began to call upon the name of the Lord and then men were the next one that's covered in the thing. So it's really interesting. It's got, it looks like it's intentional structure in the book. Now that reminds me a little bit of uh, Isaiah, the seems kind of like this idea of like, there's kind of a, uh, something in the, uh, in the text to alert you to like, we're entering a new section. We're kind of completing one big thought, moving on to the next thing. And I think Toledoth helps organize it. Now there's one interesting passage. Um, There's 10 segments in the book of Genesis with those Toledo, but Uh there's 11 times it's used. Okay. And one of them is at the beginning and the other one's at the end of that section. Okay. So it's interesting. And it's on Esau of all people, because I'm wondering if it's letting us know this one is kind of separate from the structure of where Genesis is going. Because he Mm. basically, it looks like he wants to get to Abraham and to do, and, and Abraham's offspring are going to go through Isaac in that way. Yeah. So it's interesting. So it looks like it's set off almost in the book, you know, in the Bible itself right. to let you know this one is A side kind of piece almost yeah, or, or something? different than the rest of them, yeah. I wonder. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's our word for the day. In that, in that case, you said Toledoth is at the beginning and the end of the passage. Yes. And all one. the rest, Toledoth is at the beginning and then there's some kind of kind of a conclusion. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. And that means, that means that the... Uh, Chapter one is ba- and all the way to two four. Mm. That means that's a like an introduction because that's mm. that's been a debate throughout history. Is chapter one uh, the beginning and then it ends with two four, or is chapter one kind of separate by itself? And I I think it's mm. kind of an introduction by itself. Yeah. Okay. So and then the each one starts it after that. Yeah. Okay. So so that's our Hebrew word for today. I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, let's talk about the structure a little bit. Okay. Here's what I wanted to show you. And I use the word history for each one of them. So you mm. can actually see. Um, and so that I put uh, chapter one through two, three as an introduction to the mm-hmm. book. So you've got, and, and remember in chapter um, three, it kind of ends with, and God rested on the seventh day. Yeah. So, and then it goes into two, four. So my understanding is you've got a structure here to help you know you've got an introduction. And it, oh, and I've, I've called them conclusions. Do you see uh, two, three says, and then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all the work that he had made and mm-hmm. created. And then it goes into the history of the heavens and the earth. 
So I see. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's almost like a little conclusion there. Yeah. And then it goes. It into leads the into one. the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's neat. Okay. And our one down here where you see the history of es- Esau. Notice I put. I said look at uh, twenty or thirty six nine because that's got the other Toledo structure in it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's our big picture. And the and how this helps us is it looks like the biblical text has a structure yeah. in its in the book all by itself. Yeah. And I figure, man, if if it's already got it there, we should be able to follow it. And it right. looks like we can follow it pretty well. Well, let's hit them. Let's talk about why don't you give us a little bit of a, okay. a summary of each section. Okay. Oh, all right. The introduction basically I, I call it a prehistory, but mm-hmm. it's basically talks about how the world was created. In, mm-hmm. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, basically. And then it's going to show the structure. And I'll show you that structure yeah. later. Okay. Then you get to the history of the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because most of the stuff that talks about is man being created right. and that second creation story and then mm-hmm. sin coming into the world and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it doesn't really deal... It, it tells how the earth and heavens were created, but more of what its purpose was. And right. it seems like that seems to be the center. Yeah. And then in chapter 5, we've got um, Adam. And uh, in, in, chapter, in that chapter, there's going to be a, uh, actually even a genealogy that will mm-hmm. help us see where the biblical text is going. Yeah. And then in, uh, uh, chapter, in the third one is the history of Noah. Mm-hmm. That ends with the flood. So it starts with yeah. who he is and his sons and all that, and then ends with the flood. Then you've got what's interesting is Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So you've got his sons being talked about. Yeah. Um, but then at one point, it's going to take Shem, and that's the one it's going to follow right. and, and leave pretty much Ham and Japheth. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Shem, that's chapter 11, and it basically follows that structure. Then you get to Terah, which is interesting. You'd have thought it would have gone to Abraham, yeah. but it actually goes to Terah, his father, because I think it's back at that time, the genealogy would have, would have emphasized more the father than the person who's going to be used to help them know where everything fits. Interesting. Yeah. And then you get down to Ishmael and Isaac. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and then Esau. Remember, that's that ninth one. Yeah, the the slightly different one. Yeah. And then then you get to Jacob. Now, Jacob is not, uh, he's not actually one, you know, you you thought he was going to be one of the patriarchs. But he's not. He's he's the person that's actually going to make it so that Israel stays alive during this time. Mm. But so Jacob is not one of our patriarchs usually, but the, yeah. he is the, in the. He's crucial to the story because yeah. without him, they're never going to make it. Right. So it is interesting. Yeah. So that's how the book holds together. That's great. It that's makes, really helpful. Makes sense. Yeah, I think so. All right. Let's look at chapter one. Okay. Yeah. So um, in mine. I actually argue, we'll look at Genesis 1, 2. It says, And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The two words there that are in yellow, the formless and void, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's like a, a fun word to say there. It's a phrase, tohu vabohu. Formless and void, they sound alike even, so it even is a structure that's kind of interesting. But what's going to happen is the first... Okay, so it tells us that it's formless and void in chapters 1, or verses 1 and Mm 2. Then it starts forming creation, so it takes care of the formlessness. And then uh, verse 14, it starts talking about filling them, so So it takes care of the voidness of it. So it's interesting. That structure is, I think, really interesting. So it starts like... Oh, I had a colleague that once says, (laughs) you know, when it's... It's formless and void. He said it was, it was like the moon, only watery. 
mm. <laughs> with yeah. water on it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's almost like an empty, formless mass of material is how I understand it. Yeah. And then God starts creating it. Yeah. So, so that one has a really, I think, interesting structure. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. Okay. Then each of the days actually have a structure. Um, it's interesting, in the forming, you've got three days, and in the filling, you've got three days. Sure, yeah. And what also is interesting is that day three and day six have two parts to them, mm. uh, like almost like an A and a B. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, the first one talks about the land and stuff like that. Then it talks about the vegetation. Mm-hmm. And the same on this, it talks about the creatures on the earth right. in day six. And, and then man. More specifically man, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, so it, it seems, again, like it's intentionally getting a structure for us. Sure. So yeah. that, again, and then, and then you've got day seven where God is resting. Of course, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I've I've put that the days are separated one to three, but but there's an introduction to each one, and God mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, we're all and, familiar with that one." I yeah, think. yeah. And then the command, "Let there be," mm-hmm. then a, a completion, and it was so, um, approbation, and it was good, and then a conclusion. Mm-hmm. There was evening and morning and yeah. whatever day it was. Yeah. So it's interesting. Each one of them seemed to have that kind of a structure too. Yeah. So uh, I want to keep going because I want to, once we get to the end of chapter one, I want to talk about, is that all it is? Because one of the, uh, a good amount of scholars will say, it's got such a literary structure. Is that all that it's intended to do? And we'll come back to Meaning that question. What is what? Is like, that all? What do you mean by all? Is it just to create a structure? Because remember, oh, day see, see. seven is going to be to rest. Yeah. And some people thought that the first uh, chapter is just to create a structure so that they could talk about Sabbath. Mm. And and that's not really how God did it, but that's how he he revealed it so that you could have the structure of the, of the Sabbath day. I see. I yeah. See. Okay. But I don't think that's enough, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what's other also interesting is, remember you have two different creation stories, basically. Mm. You have chapter one and chapter two, and that's always been a real dilemma for scholars, uh, what to do with the two creations. Now, partially the structure has already helped explain that. Remember, if there's an introduction talking about the forming and filling, then on the second part, you've got this uh, place where God is going to have, because it was uh, that... Toledoth pattern talks about, um, um, uh, you know, heavens and the earth and explaining what they're for. And that seems to be more what chapter two is. He's talking about how his relationship with man and how it's going to work and and what the whole purpose of creation was even for. Mm. So I think, and, and the names actually highlight that. Um, remember uh, a while ago, the JEDP theory was oh, yeah. really famous and, yeah. and thought you could divide between the structures mm-hmm. by the names themselves. Yeah. Um, I think now we're past that and realize that really didn't make much sense, or at least I don't think it does. It got a bit granular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. you could look at like sections of a verse yeah. and say, this is actually yeah. brought in by this group. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, never really fit very well, it seems yeah. in my mind. But 
what was interesting is in, is in chapter one, it's centering on God's power and doing the creation. And so the word Elohim is used to center on his sovereignty, his power, his creative ability. But then chapter two brings in the name Yahweh, which seems, Yahweh seems to emphasize more his relational nature mm. and his personal nature. And, and uh, even when you get to Exodus, where uh, the name is actually finally brought in for the first time, it says, um, you know, um, from now on, you're going to know me by the name Yahweh. Yeah. And then shortly after that, they have a, a, a covenant made with Adam and, and or with the man and like Adam at that, or Abraham at that point. But there's going to have this relationship. And that seems to be the important part of why that name is used. Yeah. And so, it, so if we realize that names in Hebrew are very important and they have a reason for those names, yeah. it makes a lot more sense, even in the context. But if you think about it, that helps us to see how chapter two and chapter one are different. Mm. Chapter one is emphasizing the idea that here's this powerful God creating all yeah. this and, the, and and forming and filling it, you know, pulling back the waters from so that the dry land can appear and all of that. So that idea of the sovereignty there. Then we get into the part where chapter two is basically centered around God's dealing with man and and how he's taking care of him and all these things were created so that man would have a good place to live. Yeah. So when, when I was a student, an Old, an Old Testament student uh -huh. at Gateway, actually, my professor, Dr. Urbino, he yeah. um he would illustrate this with an experiment in class, and he said every semester, every year, uh -huh. he got the same answers. He would ask people if this was a movie, if chapter one is a movie and chapter two is a movie, who would be the narrator? And he said. Oh. It, it never, never failed. Everyone always said James Earl Jones for chapter <laughs> one and Morgan Freeman <laughs> for number two. But it illustrates that idea of kind of this... Yeah, the different this, in personality. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's, this that's... relational kind of sign, chapter two, and the kind of... Maybe a, it seems a bit warmer, you yeah. know, but, but chapter one is kind of uh, yeah. epic. Yeah. It reflects the power, this kind of... All this coming out of nothing. You yeah. Know? That's good. So you've now got a good reason to have two yeah. different stories. And I've often wondered if chapter two is not more of a narrowing down of day six. Mm. Um, even there, it's a little out of, because like, it, it says the animals were brought to Adam. So it, it's to see what he would name them and all that. Right. So it's a little, it seems like it's out of the structure. But if day six is him more this relational with animals and creation and with Adam, then I can see how... That would could be a, a an emphasis on day six. Yeah. So it's I think it's possible anyway. Okay. So here you got um, in the second one it talks about creation before mankind is in verses four through six, and it says there's no sh shrubs or no plants of the field, no rain or no uh, well, it, it says but a mist used to do it, mm -hmm. um, and then the different order. So, so you've got a few things here, but it's interesting because like when it says there's no shrubs or plants of the field, it, the explanation is, is because there's no man to till the ground. Uh, okay. Right. So it's already showing the relationship of shrubs in the field and and with mankind being necessary to keep it going. Right. We know that weeds and grass and stuff like that grows and they don't need a yeah. man to plant them. Yeah. Um, but I actually think what that means when it says plants of the field, it's really specifically talking about ones that are 
put in the field that, that would be cultivated yeah, and that need planting yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, because yeah. the other ones in Genesis one didn't talk about it; just talked about the plants mm. and the trees and the stuff yeah. like that. It didn't say plants of the field. So I think that's more specific. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And then in the relationship being like man dealing with the plants. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. And then it is interesting in that there's a different order in chapter two between the animals and man. Because mm. uh, remember, man in chapter uh, one, man's created as like the epitome, the last yeah. thing. But in chapter uh, two, it's actually... Uh, he he actually brings the he makes the animals and brings them to Adam and and he names them and so right. there's that personal connection but it's also suggesting that there's that relationship so I'm wondering if chapter one in that big picture of how they were created is more general how they were done and mm. then and then this one is more specifically day six right. how it was done yeah and so. At least that's kind of how I understand what's going on. Yeah. All right. And in 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 chapters uh, ver, or chapter two verses seven through seventeen, you've got man created out of the dust of the ground, and then uh, to, you know he's placed in this garden, mm-hmm. and then told not to eat of the uh, knowledge of the or the tree of the knowledge oh, right. of good and evil. Right. So once again, a, a command and, and relationship there, and yeah. then it, and then goes to chapter eight or verses eighteen through twenty five talks about woman being made yeah. as a helper for man. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, the name Ish and Isha are mm-hmm. a play on the words. Man and woman, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's almost like a uh, it, the word uh, Isha has a feminine ending on it. Mm. So it's like almost like a feminine man. Right. It's almost right. what it sounds like it's doing. Yeah. So it's it's a real play on the words there. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, there's another place uh, that there's a play on words, the word naked. Um, in chapter, I think it's verse 25 uh, of chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, verse 1, mm. it's the word urim, I'm sorry, urim. Uh, it sounds like the same word, but it's a homonym. Okay. It's, it's a diff- it, it has a different re- meaning, but it sounds the same. Yeah. And, and, I th- and it's the word, so in the one, it's uh, they were naked, uh-huh. and this one, he's crafty. So it's like our word for huh. whole. Um, we have like we can talk about a hole in the ground, oh, or okay. a, the whole class. Yeah, and 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 oh, that's, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, the, the word gurim uh, has that meaning, uh, or it sounds the same, but it's got two different meanings. And those are naked or crafty, yeah. something kind of like that. And I think it was done to pull these two chapters together to mm. show that they actually are related. There's a link word there, probably. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, it, it's interesting in that um, uh, when it talks about them being naked and not ashamed, that they like have nothing to hide. So it seems like it's giving you a hint of what creation was like. Mm. And and even there, the relationship between man and woman was totally different than what it is now. Sure. So, so I think the chapter two has got so many hints that it's talking about relationship between relationship between God and man. Uh, remember, um, it, that's the chapter that talks about him walking in the cool of the day, God walking oh, yeah. in the garden in the yeah. cool of the day yeah. to meet with man. So you've got all those little elements yeah. to help you to see that. Well, and it, it does seem in chapter one, we get uh, that it's good. Creation is good. Yeah. And it does seem like in chapter two, there's a lot more detail. Yeah. Well, what makes it good, maybe? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
Okay, let's look at the next one. There are a few other things in chapter 1 that we'd like to go back and talk about. Like in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 11, it says, and, let us, uh, and, let, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit uh, after their kind. Um, with it, their seed in them on the earth, and it was so. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little about what the word kind means. Okay. And, and it seems like I, 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 in science, um, the, the difference between a genus and species, mm. uh, the species is the more generic name, and then the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the genus is the more generic name, and then species is the more specific name. Yeah. And my understanding is that the word kind is is actually somewhere between those two okay. classifications yeah. um, because um, there are uh, you can cross like a well it seems like we can find some real close connections between mm. where where that kind would split yeah because notice it says that these fruit bearing trees cr- were created after their kind yeah so my understanding is that when God created the first plant, you know, let's say an apple tree. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to go and continue to bake a new apple tree, apple tree every time he wanted one. Right. He's now made it so that they can reproduce. Continue. Yeah. But they only reproduce within a certain limit. An apple tree doesn't become an orange tree yeah. or a lemon tree or something Right, but else. you can have several varieties of yeah. Yeah. apples. So, yeah. so there's a, um, it, the, the generic name would put them all into that classification, yeah. but then there can be specific ones. Mm-hmm. So, okay, um, as I understand it, that's like a, um, when we cross two, like if you cross a horse and a, and a donkey, mm-hmm. you get a mule. Yeah. But he, he's in, in sterile, right? Infertile, so he can't reproduce. Yeah, there can't be more mules from that line, essentially. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I also looked up a ligert. That's yeah, a lion yeah. and a tiger. tiger yeah, yeah. 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 And and what I found out in those is that the males are infertile, but the females can actually reproduce. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's, it's got something to do with the chromosomes and mm. how many they have. But but it was it was interesting. So it seems like we can get real close to where that kind separates. Yeah. And 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 I grew up in Iowa and. Um, a lot of the times in the summer they would go and detassel corn mm. and what you do with those the tops of the of the corn plant is they mix those with another variety and you can make what's a hybrid you know yeah. one that's disease resistant or uh, oh, sure. stuff like that and yeah. that and that works you know cuz that's within a kind yeah. but the mini but you don't once again you can't breed the, or uh, cross that with something else. Yeah, like a potato or yeah, something. And gets, yeah. yeah. So so there yeah. are those boundaries that are in there. And I thought that's actually helpful for us to realize. That because, actually, because that tells us about order. Yeah. And, and yeah. also that also is going to tell us about whether evolution actually will work. Mm. It would seem like the biblical text is actually telling us microevolution is going to work. Mm. I, I, that's where a hybrid kind of yeah. thing comes in. Development, yeah. But it seems like it's saying that macroevolution won't work. Mm. You can't go from one species to another. Right. Interesting, so, yeah. So I think that was helpful to help us know yeah. how that works. Uh, and then the other one is, what does the word good mean? Oh, that's a good one to look at. Yeah. yeah. So in Genesis uh, 31, it says, and God saw that all he had made, and behold, it was very good. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, all the way through each, after each day's, yeah, it, it actually that said... That was a concluding kind of remark, yeah, basically, yeah. right. So, but on, on day six, it means very good. But, mm-hmm. but at that time, what does it mean to be really good? Um, the word has a range of meanings, and it can mean morally good or mm. bad, 
or um, actually good, you know. In Hebrew, the Hebrew word. Yeah, the word yeah. can mean morally good. Mm. But in this, this sense, it doesn't really mean that, I don't think. I don't think that would make sense in its context. I think what it more likely means is suitable or fitting. Uh, so what he's saying is that I've just made this day, let's say, to, mm-hmm. to, in the perfect way that I, I need it so that it'll be suitable for what I'm going to do with it. And I think that's what God is, is saying for each of those days. And then at the very end, he says, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. That I made creation so that it would fulfill the purpose that I, I wanted it to do. Yeah. And I think that then helps us understand. Now, that also fits in Isaiah chapter 39. Do you remember? We, I think we talked about it, and, and I think it's verse 8 or 9 where it says, and Hezekiah says, oh, well, that is good because at least there won't be, uh, uh, at least it, uh, we won't go into captivity during my time. Mm. It makes him sound like a real jerk. Right. But if it, if it means more like fitting or suitable, yeah. remember Hezekiah was a good king. Right. So if, if, if they went into captivity during his time, the message God would be sending is, look, you'd, you'd be as good as you, you want, but I'm still going to send you into captivity. Right. So I think, I think it makes a lot of sense then to say, no, it means suitable or fitting. Yeah. And that's in the creation here, it fits perfectly. Yeah. So. And, and then I think it, maybe even the sixth, I mean, uh, on the, on the last day, yeah, on the sixth day, when it says yeah. very good, yeah. that kind of reinforces that, I, I think, even more that this this task is complete. Yeah. All the creation has yeah, come yeah. together, yeah. you know, um, and it is, you know, it's fitting, right? Yeah. It's, it's perfect it's, for what he wants. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I've got another question for this. Oh, okay. Um, uh, for our days, because okay. we have like, you know, at the, the end we say, of each day, God said it was good, and then yeah. we had... Evening and morning, right? Yeah. Now, my question, uh, I've, I've heard this before, is like, you know, this question of uh, how is there evening and morning when sun, stars, that stuff doesn't come in till the third day? Yeah. So how, how do we measure days? Yeah. My understanding is that, remember, in, in it's like in, in day one, he separates the light from the darkness. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that at that point, there's some kind of material or light-bearing material that he separates into one part of the sky and then it's separated from the dark. So if you've got the earth and it's rotating between Mm -hmm. what's on the side that's emitting light and what's on the other side that's not, it would give the appearance of day just like what we would normally expect. Hmm. But it's not then until day three that he actually creates the sun and the moon and stuff like that. So you then actually have those bodies that would do it. But before that, it's got just a light bearing source over there, Hmm. not formed into our sun or moon or something like that. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think it'll still work and, and, and be a logical reason what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's good. That's at least how I understand it. <laughs> yeah. That's a really fascinating question because we do have light and darkness yeah. separated at the beginning, yeah. you know. Yeah. And we just have those very much associated with yeah. you know, the sun, and, you know. And remember the purpose at that point is to start forming it. Yeah. And and, and he doesn't have to form it all at once. Sure. I had, I had a colleague that once said that when he separated light from the day, that was really he was starting to create time. Because once you have light and you have darkness and it's starting to rotate, that's more the element of Mm. time than it is the sun or moon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fascinating idea. Yeah. So I think he was right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Let's go to the next one. It's fitting. Yes. (laughs) All right. I know you want to know where the Garden of Eden is, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad you put this slide in here. (laughs) 
Yeah. So tell us what this means. Okay. Um, there are two rivers we don't know. Uh, one's like in Hebrew, it's like the jumper and the flowing river. But the two that we know are the Tigris and Euphrates. Right. And, and those two would make some sense. And, you know, um, I, my guess is, and I don't know this for sure, but my guess is the Tigris and Euphrates could be pretty much in the same spot as they were, even because remember, now this is before the flood. Mm. So the flood could change. Yeah, um, topography. Yeah, and stuff like that. But usually the um, the, the mouth of the spring would probably say the same place. Mm. And then it, it would be the, the where the water would run that would probably be, get, would change. Yeah. But up in the, up in the north... Uh, up in there, um, the Tigris and Euphrates River, their source is only like, I think it's like 400 feet or uh, from each other. Hmm. So if, it, it might be a little more than that, but it's something like that. But then they, they flow down opposite sides of the mountain oh, and they create okay. these two rivers. So that is, my guess is that that would be one place where it actually could be um, up in that northern area where those two rivers start. And then the other place is where the two rivers actually come together. Mm. Uh, so down here at the mouth of the river is mm -hmm. the possibly the other place where that could have happened. Yeah. Um, my guess, though, is that there's been erosion in that area. So I, if there was any Garden of Eden there, it could have been washed away. Mm. And, it, and my guess is that maybe in the flood, it was actually removed anyway. Oh, wow. You know, I don't think I've heard that idea before. Because remember, the, the, garden, or it's, the Garden of Eden still had that tree of the knowledge of good yeah. and evil. So Adam, had, I assume, at any point could go back. He'd have to deal with yeah. the cherubim, of course. Yeah. Um, but he could go back, and if he did then we, we'd have a problem. So I think that God just removed it mm. after the flood and, and took care of that. Mm. That's why I won't have a, 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 an expedition yeah. to the, the, you the won't be see the Garden Jones. of Eden this yeah. summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so that's probably will help you get that. Remember I told you in chapter 2 there's that word for mist? Yeah. I wanted to clarify that because um, that word... Aid can actually mean, you know, some people suggested it was a, a spring, spring yeah. that shot up and watered the garden. Mm -hmm. And the other possibility is it could be a mist that came down. The only other place that word occurs is in uh, Job 36, verse 27. Mm. And I think, here's what it says. He draws up the drops of water. They distill rain from the mist. And that's our word aid. Huh. So it seems like that's the other place that I put Job quite early. Yeah. And if it is, that would kind of fit that kind of a time period well. Mm. And and I actually think that they would understood it as that, the mist that is brought together and then it rains. Yeah. So I think that probably at some point, God had some kind of a mist that watered the garden mm. instead of... It, I mean, it would seem like to me that if it is a spring that shoots up and waters it, um, and then you'd need man to almost irrigate. Yeah, yeah. If you had the mist, you wouldn't actually need that. That's true. Like. Yeah. So that's how I understand it. Yeah. I also wanted to go back and talk about that play on words for uh, oh, man eesh. and woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's Genesis 2, 23. It says, And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she's taken out of man. Mm. And even our English word, you can oh, yeah. see they're related. Yeah. So not often do we uh, have something like that mirrors the Hebrew. Yeah, like a word play yeah. in multiple yeah. Yeah, languages. Yeah. So the word for man is ish in Hebrew, 
and then it's isha in mm-hmm. in uh, uh, the word for woman is isha in Hebrew. Yeah, and and that comet's hay on the end, those two letters on the end, like mm-hmm. the ver, the vowel and the consonant, yeah. are the actual part that makes it a feminine. Uh, part, it's a feminine a word, yeah. yeah. So it's almost like, uh, like I said before, it's almost like a feminine man because yeah. it's putting that feminine ending on that word for yeah. man. So it's an interesting play on words. Yeah, that is a very fascinating. Yeah, it, it's amazing the kind of. I, I think that really goes to, to show the, literary skill. Yeah, involved in the writing of this book. I mean, not only just the structure, but just yeah. wordplay stuff like that. That's, fairly complicated. Yeah, you know. And what I wanted to also help try to see is that structure. You could that this is an amazing book to see mm. that structure. You know, <laughs> I believe Moses wrote it. If Moses wrote it, he's actually a really skilled writer. Yeah, because he's pulling. To, now I don't know where he got all the information from. You know, right. but uh, it's very organized. Yeah, logical. I, yeah, I, I think it's hard for us to see sometimes. I'll yeah. confess, I just read through Genesis. <laughs> A friend of mine are doing the ESV, you know, read through the Bible in a year. Yeah. And it is, it's kind of, I, there's times where you're just like, this is very foreign to me, yeah. you know, with the genealogy and stuff. But seeing that structure, that does bring a lot of sense to it. That's what I was hoping uh, that mm. would give you some structure and say, oh, maybe it's not quite as foreign as I thought it was. Yeah. Now, you're still going to have things like in chapter three where you've got a serpent talking, apparently. Yeah. So, so you still have elements like that. But at least there's a structure to this, a flow. You know that the author was purposely putting these elements in Mm -hmm. here. So I think that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, another thing I wanted to show you is there are different creation stories. And so we've got the Urdu Genesis, the Atrahasis, the Gilgamesh epic, Mm -hmm. Enuma Elish, and the Memphite theology. Uh, The the last one is is basically from Egypt. Yeah. Um, But what's interesting is that I've, I've often, uh, you know, people have after often said, well, you see it in the, the commentaries all the time that these are just mirroring the, the uh, ancient Near Eastern stories and mm-hmm. stuff. And we, we were talking a little earlier about yeah. this, but that when you actually start looking at them, you can actually see that the biblical text is significantly different right. than the others. Yeah. Like, like um, uh, one of them has that. Well, actually, several of the Sumerian ones talk about the flood being brought in because the the men were noisy. Right. You know, at first, they were brought. The men were brought in to do the work for so the gods didn't have to. Yeah. But then they got so noisy they, that the gods couldn't sleep. And yeah. I'm going. Man, if a god could make man to do his job, couldn't he also make them without Quiet, voice yeah. boxes? <laughs> right. I'm going, that seems like a fairly silly thing. You know, something, yeah. if you could create man, you could certainly make him silent, sure. I would think. Where, where the biblical text argues, no, it's sin in man that's caused the mm-hmm. problem. And that seems to be a better answer for yeah. why would they be destroyed in the flood? Sure. And, and then I often also say, now, um, in the biblical text, we actually have an ark that will float. Mm. But in the other ones, uh, one is a cube, which we know a cube won't actually float. Right. And, a, the, and another one is like a cone. Yeah. Neither of those uh, objects that they made would have worked. Yeah. So again, we've got a biblical text that actually has an, an ark that actually floats compared to ones that really won't work. Right. So again, seems a lot more logical to me. Yeah. So so I think that if we go to the biblical text, we can see that it has 
an, uh, an authority or a, at least a, um, a logic that the other ones don't have. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of, uh, when I was in college, we read some of this stuff, you know, yeah. comparing, um, comparing like flood stories, um, a little bit of creation stories, and then like uh, early laws and codes, like yeah. Code of Hammurabi and stuff like that. Yeah. And it is funny because there are some, I think when you take a step back, you can see some, some similarities like in the really, really yeah. big picture. But if you start looking close, it's very different. I mean, certainly in those laws, you could see a very different value system. There were a lot of unique things, I think, in Hebrew law of just, you know, caring for outsiders. How do you treat outsiders as, you know, not second-class citizens? Or I mean, there's just a lot of interesting things that really display a a pretty big difference, I think. And remember, uh, the biblical text is arguing that these laws were to make you different from all the rest. So so where the laws overlap is probably that they were real just law and it made sense. But then there's going to be things in there that they didn't need to put in, but God put them in there so that it would show that they are different than the other people. Set apart. Yeah. Yeah. So it is logical. Yeah. I, I wanted to show you just a little more uh, and explain some of these. The Urdu Genesis is dated to around 1600 uh, BC, and it preserves a section that contains both the creation of mankind and the flood story. Uh, the flood lasted for seven days and nights, and it was sent because of excessive noise mm. for the humans. Mm. So that gives you some clue. Seven days and seven nights. We've had floods that long, and they haven't yeah, yeah. drenched the earth and made it right. so that it was. So it just seemed like it was is not as logical. Yeah, Atrahasis uh, may actually our copy of it goes back to about sixteen hundred, but it may go back even further from what we can tell. It's copies mm. of things. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe back eighteen hundred. It contains another Sumerian creation and flood story, and it begins with the creation of Anu, uh, who rules the sky, and then Enlil. Uh, who rules the earth, and Enki, uh, who rules the fresh water, basically. Okay. Um, then these are created lower... De- these ones create lower deities to do the work. But these deities got tired of working, and thus <sighs> the God's solution is to wipe them out. Okay? Yeah. Um, so that idea of noisy again and sending the flood doesn't seem to be as logical to me. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, Oh, and uh, Atrahasis, uh, one of the people gets gets uh, uh, saved in that flood story. Very oh, similar yeah, yeah, to, to, Noah. to Noah, yeah. yeah. So it is interesting. All right, and then uh, Gilgamesh epic is an old... It's, it's, it could mm-hmm. go back even to 2100 BC. Yeah. Um, it's an old Babylonian account, mentions a God's made man, but it does not say how. It just talks that they did. The lower deities get tired of working, and thus the God's solution is to create man to do the work, but then again, they become noisy and disturb the gods, okay? So the flood wipes them out. This one also has a hero, uh, Sheptim or whatever, and he's the one that's uh, in a dream. The gods tell me they're going to send uh, send a flood, mm-hmm. and so that he he makes this um, uh, boat. It's it's in the, almost like the shape of a ziggurat, like a temple kind of. Yeah, that kind of the well, idea? Um, kind of pyramidy it, type thing. Yeah, it it says the sh- the shape of it. It says it was seven levels and doors and windows covered with pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the 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 flood lasts for six days and nights. So. A ziggurat or a, a, yeah. at least a c- 
cocoon kind of shape is not gonna is not gonna float. It's, and yeah, yeah. you know, and and the days for are just not long enough. Mm-hmm. So it seems like to me we've got some pretty good evidence that our biblical text is actually more logical anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then uh, Numa Leash, and um, uh, it talks about there being a combination of water, uh, sweet water and salt water, mm. uh, which then finally, uh, um, actually, when they differentiate, they become gods. So sweet water oh, is Apsu, and uh, huh. uh, salt water is Tiamat. Yeah. Um, and then the union of these two gods bring about younger gods, or, little, or lesser gods. Marduk is one of the younger gods. He defeats Tiamat and makes the heaven and earth out of her corpse. So you've got, this is, right. uh, and then at the end, they're, uh, the men are too noisy and they get destroyed by a flood. <laughs> so there's certain elements that have... They're are, really concerned about <laughs> that noise, aren't they? Yeah. Metphite theology is the next one. It's, it's probably the latest of all of them, like only about mm-hmm. 700 B.C. Um, but Bata t- talks about as being the uh, maker of creation, though it doesn't, and he makes the other ones, the other gods, but it doesn't really tell how or anything mm-hmm. like that. So there, that's how I wanted to make sure you knew a little about them, yeah. so so you could see the logic of why we think they're. Yeah, it's it's guys. very interesting. I mean, I mean, yeah. some of these elements that are similar between the other ones have just kind of. Yeah. Someone's got to do the work. Yeah. We'll kind of create a lower. Yeah. Some lower group of you know beings to do the work. Someone's got to do yeah. it, and then we're annoyed by them, basically. Yeah. And that's why we're gonna kind of punish them, which is. Or, or wipe them out. Maybe it's not even really having to do with punishment, but yeah. you know, it's so different from the biblical narrative where yeah. you know there's work becomes hard because of sin, and the flood comes to kind of yeah. cleanse the earth from evil of sin. You know, it, it is. It's, it's got a really yeah. different flavor to it. Yeah, and I was actually going to say, um, you you can see where these ones came. Oh well, first of all, a lot of people, scholars will say, well, look, some of these. Sumerian texts come before the biblical text. Mm-hmm. So even if, like, let's say that the, if the one, the new malicious, let's, well, that one's one of the later ones. Let's say yeah. the Gilgamesh epic. Yeah. If it goes back 2000 BC, let's say, then if Moses wrote the Pentateuch in 1400, even the biblical text says it's later, right? Mm-hmm. So, so looking at these, clearly you've got the obviously the biblical text must have copied from these others. It just took some ideas. Or yeah, something. but if you think about it, the, the Moses is not the first person that's uh, being talked about in the biblical text. Yeah, we've got Adam and Eve that go clear back to the beginning. We've got Abraham that are way before Moses. So, so even Moses's recording is talking about events that far surpassed yeah. or were much earlier than him. Yeah. So I would actually say it's not really fair to to compare uh, like the Gilgamesh epic to the biblical text because the biblical text is claiming to contain information that goes way before right. when Gilgamesh would. That maybe was passed down through... Yeah, yeah. 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 Sometimes it can be oral. Ex- yeah, I yeah. could even, from about 3,000 on, it could be written even. Sure. Because we do have writing that takes place then. Mm. So, in, in a, But it was like compiled or kind of written yeah. in the form we have it as... Yeah, by 1400 mm-hmm. or so, yeah. Yeah, so at least, at least that helps make some sense out of that. Yeah. So you can't just argue that these ones precede the biblical text. It doesn't sound like that's necessarily hmm. true. Yeah. All right. Okay. This next one is amazing when I found this out. Okay. Okay. Um, remember, I'm trying to show you how structures 
are there, how much structure there is in the book of Genesis. Yeah. And at this one, um, each of the, there's three three genealogies in the text. One is in chapter four, talking about Cain's genealogy. Mm-hmm. Then chapter five is Seth's genealogy, and then. Um, you get to chapter 11, and, and it's basically the sons and daughters of Shem's line, mm-hmm. okay? So it goes a lot further. What I think is interesting is for some reason, they all try to get to 10 people. Mm. Like, if you look at uh, Cain's, notice he has to put in uh, not just... Uh, usually, it's one son, and then it goes on. This one, you have to put in yeah, all the sons, sons for, yeah. and a daughter. Right. Look at Naomi yeah. is a daughter, and she's put in there. And right. I'm going, wow, that's unusual for a genealogy to do that. Yeah. And then in chapter five, you've got a couple things that are interesting. In chapter four, it doesn't say anything about, and they had other sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. In chapter five, it does. So it seems like usually when they have children, it's more like God's blessing them. So mm-hmm. it's suggesting that this one is more of a blessed line because they have these other children oh, sure. too. Yeah. And then um, notice it gets down to Noah, and then it adds on Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yeah. It, not in the same way that it hand, had, had in the other ones, mm. but in a way that it, they're almost like tacked on. Because in the next, uh, the rest of the history, they need to know who these people are. Yeah. But they don't seem to be intricately connected to the genealogy. Right. So it's, again, getting to 10 people. Then you get to, to chapter 11. It also has sons and daughters talked about. And that's about. Shem's genealogy. Yeah it's, yeah. it's basically his offspring. Yeah. Because remember what's going to happen is... Uh, uh, the other two, the uh, Ham and Japheth, are not going to be talked about. It's going to be the Shem's line that God's yeah. going to work with. Yeah. So, uh, so then you've got uh, you get down to Abraham, mm-hmm. and, which is ex- exactly where you'd expect. Yeah. But then Nahor, Haran, and Lot are tacked on mm-hmm. because again they're going to need to talk about those because yeah, in the, lo- they, the history, right? They learn about those. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Now I wished I knew why. I I still don't know why ten. Is a specific number, yeah. and you know we actually have genealogies in other sources hmm. in the ancient Near East, but ten is never a common number. Like sometimes oh, there's six, sometimes a seven, hmm. but ten is not a normal yeah. genealogy thing. So we're not exactly sure why. Now interesting. I, yeah. it's it's similar to what we've got in in Genesis or in uh, Matthew one. Hmm. Do you remember in Matthew one it splits the genealogy oh, up yeah, into yeah. fourteen? Yeah. In each in each of them, yeah. and the name fourteen, you can work with it, and it it it's got it spells out the name David. Mm. So there seems to be like a logical reason why they wanted to memorize this uh, yeah. genealogy. Yeah. I'm wondering if ten has a similar kind of structure huh. to try to help you remember that. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's it's it, the the yellow ones are the the ones on this genealogy that are really hard to explain. Yeah, and so so I thought it was interesting. And then one other thing is in chapter or in uh, chapter four, you've got the sixth one is Lamech, who's mm-hmm. really evil. Right. Remember, he kills a person yeah, yeah. for wounding him or whatever. Yeah. And then Seth number seven is Enoch, who walks with God. Hmm. So it seems like again. Yeah, kind of opposite. And you've got some hints that suggest one's a good genealogy and one's, yeah. one's kind of more uh, not as good. Right. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. Yeah. Okay, I thought that one would be helpful for you. Yeah. All right, so those are the structures that I found. Yeah. 
It's very fascinating and, and, and very I, helpful for me having just read it. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Well, if that's true, then it seems like the logic of what God was doing, he's putting this structure in here, and we can now see how they fit together. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the genealogy one is actually pretty helpful because now you can see where he's going. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, when you get to... Uh, I, one other thing I should show you about this one. Um, do you see the guy named Peleg? Uh, yeah, number five. Yeah. yeah. When you get up to four, is he Eber, and then Peleg is here. In the other, in genealogy, uh, the fifth, uh, you know, Genesis five uh, genealogy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I'm sorry, not in that one. In this one, there's two parts to it, and one of them goes to Peleg, and one goes to another person. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and and it says for Peleg, it says, and at this time the the earth was during his time the earth was divided. Huh. And it doesn't make... You know, it's, it didn't really it's, explain that. Yeah, it doesn't really let you know. But I think at that point, it's telling you that it's going down the ge- genealogy of Peleg, not the other guy. And, oh. and so I think it's helpful there. And then hmm. you get down to Abraham. So yeah. I think that's a structure. Yeah. So it's it, it helps us to see where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you to put a button on this. Okay. So I think I saw a hint at the maybe one of the first or second slides you showed. What's kind of what is the structure telling us about the the general yeah. main idea of the book of Genesis? Yeah. I think it tells us a couple things. First of all, you're, you're seeing that God is very ordered. You know, at the creation story where there's even the days have got a, a very set structure. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had actually mentioned uh, some people just think that uh, the creation story is is like that because it's just giving the structure so that they can have Exodus be the oh, yeah, yeah. seventh day, which is the Sabbath. Yeah. So it's giving an explanation of why there is a Sabbath. Mm. But it seems like to me there's more than that. Uh, that structure is showing how God's creating everything in an order. Uh, um, it, it's all functioning well, and it, and it all fits together. Yeah. And I think that's probably the better answer as to why there's such a structure here. Mm. And And I think I still would argue this is how God did it, but he's done it in a way to let us know that God is a God of order. And big picture, we see that in the, even the message of where he came from and, mm. and how he created Genesis and yeah. then how he's picking out a person and showing that line of Abraham and how yeah. God's going to use them. Yeah. So it seems like to me the book of Genesis is one that helps get that structure to, to know what God's going to do. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. So I think that's the purpose. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. All right. Uh, what do you want to talk about next time? Um, There's so many great things in Genesis. I think we better go to Genesis 3 okay. and see what's going to oh, happen man. in there, because there's tons there's a of stuff. lot in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'll be fun. All right. Okay, that's good. We'll see you next week. 